of the Lutheran Ladies Lounge in no way formally endorse the practice of placing a flaming wreath of lighted candles on a young girl's head and sending her around a dark house between 1 and 4 a.m. in the morning, carrying a heavy tray of baked goods and scalding hot coffee. That would be dangerous. Also awesome, but very dangerous. A literal fire hazard. Don't try this at home. If, however, you happen to disregard this sensible advice and try some versions of this traditional celebration, maybe with, I don't know, LED candles, feel free to post pics and tag us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. We really want to see it. to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. And I'm Rachel. Today is a party plan. We're going to plan a party for you. And probably, I shouldn't say probably, some of you have had this party before. Some of you are very into this celebration and others of you probably are going to have no idea what we're talking about. And that is amazing. So we are celebrating St. Lucia Day because this episode drops just before St. Lucia Day. <laughs> I said today in preparation, I was like, I think it's on St. I think the episode will be on the on St. Lucia Day. And someone was like, no, no, that's that's not a Friday because that's not. her birthday. And so oh. she knew exactly what it was. <laughs> yes, this, is, this is dropping the Friday yeah. before St. Lucia But this is good. Day. This way, if you want to celebrate, you'll sure. have a little time you'll to pull know. together an impromptu celebration this year. It's true that this is, we we planned this on purpose. So you guys have some yeah. ideas for how you can celebrate if you want to, because St. Lucia Day is December 13th. And so it's a fun celebration. And I know there's several, I posted in the lounge how people like to celebrate this day. And there's several people who have, they have family celebrations. They have girls named Lucia. So like this is mm-hmm. a big deal for them. Mm-hmm. There's some families with Swedish heritage. So this is also a big deal for them. There's some churches that have celebrations. Like it's a whole thing for some people. Yeah. So cool. we are going to plan your party right now. And yeah. I believe Rachel is actually going to tell us why we're even doing this. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And I know that this is perhaps a more niche holiday than mm. we have planned parties for in the past. But I think it's still an interesting one to highlight. Now, a lot of people have, there's been a resurgence of interest in St. Nicholas Day, December 6th. I see a lot Mm. on social media, people putting their shoes out or, you know, candy and whatever in it. But St. Lucy's Day is one that goes back a long way and has a connection, especially, as you said, to the Scandinavian Lutheran tradition. Mm. Not being Scandinavian myself, I have never celebrated it, but I've read about it and it's been kind of made me envious. And now I realize I can. Now, some people, of course, may say St. Lucia Day, or as I prefer to say, St. Lucy's Day, because Lucy is just a cool name. Lucy's mm. a fun name. Uh-huh. Isn't that Catholic? Mm. <laughs> and to answer that question, I will pull out from page XII of our hymnal, <laughs> a page on commemoration. 
which begins with a quote from Augsburg Confession 21. Our churches teach that the remembrance of the saints is to be commended in order that we may imitate their faith and good works according to our calling. The hymnal goes on to say the Lutheran reformers understood that there was great benefit in remembering the saints whom God has given to his church. And then the page goes on to highlight all the special Christian people we commemorate in a formal way throughout the church year. There are, you know, some people you would expect, like Peter and Paul, Emperor Constantine is on there, Queen mm. Esther, she's on, yeah. she made the list, Johann mm. Sebastian Bach, love that, Johannes Bugenhagen, Bugenhagen. Uh, April 20th is when we commemorate him. Such an awesome name. <laughs> There's a range of people, and Lucia, comma, martyr, is mm. on the list of hymnal-recognized saint commemorations. Now, I feel like this list is very sensible and restrained, like they really tried to touch on the highlights Mm -hmm. and identified Lucia as a highlight. To contrast this, I have in front of me a page from catholicsaints.info, subtitled Notes About Your Extended Family in Heaven, and they have a list of names for every day in the church year. Mm -hmm. Now, our list takes up less than two pages for the entire year. However, this website for the 13th of December identifies the following as saints worthy of commemoration. Lucy of Syracuse. Yay, St. Lucy. Hey. Uh-huh. Antiochus of Silsi, Antonio Grassi, Aristoni, Arsenius of Latro, Albert of Eris, Edberg of Leinminga, Einfildus of Hohenberg, Elizabeth Rose, Jodocus, John Marinoni, Martino de Pomar, Odelia of Alsace, Roswinda, Tassio of Bavaria, Ursusinus of Cathors, Wilfred, Blessed Mercedarian Knights of Seven, Martyrs of Jongju, Martyrs of Sebasta, and Cormac of Kalela. Wow. Hmm. That's a list. And that's not the longest list of the, day- <laughs> the days available. There are longer lists. So I think we can still draw a bit of a line between what we would consider Catholic practice and Lutheran practice here and it's in the hymnal so i think we're cool to celebrate saint lucia comma martyr on december 13th Mm -hmm. now we talk about thanking god for giving faithful servants to his church and the benefit in remembering the works that god did through his saints and so i think it is excellent that we begin our party planning session with a little story time Yes. Oh, okay. Story time with Rachel. <laughs> Story time with Rachel. Yeah, Love I will it. not. I will not do this as well as you, but I. I uh, really enjoy this story, so I'm happy to share it. I did not actually write it out ahead of time. So <laughs> <laughs> pardon me if I trip over my tongue a few times. Now, when we're talking about saints' lives, we've got to make a distinction between the actual verifiable facts of the story. Mm. The details that may be factual, but we can't prove it. Mm-hmm. And the details that were pretty obviously added in as medieval fan fiction. Mm. <laughs> okay. So I'm not going to say that everything in this story actually happened. I am going to say that some of the story actually happened. And that finding out what happened and what didn't happen is above my pay grade. Mm. But St. Lucy, St. Lucia of Syracuse in the Roman Empire, was, to the best of our knowledge, born about 283 AD. 
and died, we know when she died, AD 304. Mm-hmm. She was martyred during the Diocletian persecution, which, you know, we talk about early church martyrs and I think I was raised to think that basically it was nothing but lions and coliseums for the, until Constantine came along. <laughs> Persecutions came and went, and many of them were regional or local, and there were long periods of time when Christians pretty much were not bothered. But mm-hmm. there were some bad times. And this was pretty much everybody agrees that the Diocletianic, <laughs> the, the persecution of Diocletian, was the last and the most severe and the mm-hmm. most empire-wide persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. So this is when St. Lucy went to be with the Lord, was during this time. We know that. We know she lived. We know she was a Christian who would not deny her faith. And we know that she was killed for making that confession. Yep. Great. That in itself, as far as I'm concerned, is enough to celebrate. However, we've got some other details if we want to think about her in a more imaginative way. So according to tradition, Lucy was born to noble parents. Mm -hmm. Her father died young. Her mother raised her, but she was very sick. There's this whole category of women who were martyred as virgin martyrs, women who opted to die rather than marry pagan men. (laughs) And yeah, Lucy was one of those. She Mm -hmm. had, as was popular at the time, she had consecrated her virginity to God, mm-hmm. both so that she could avoid pagan marriage and focus on serving the Lord, but also because her dowry, which would have gone to her husband, she wanted that to go to the poor, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. She didn't tell her mom. Oh. <laughs> yeah, always talk to your mom, girls. If you mm. want to live single for the <laughs> Lord, communicate that information. Because Lucy's mom, Eutychia, didn't know about the promise. And because she was ill, suffering from a bleeding disease, she was kind of afraid for Lucy and arranged Lucy's marriage to a young man from a wealthy pagan family. Mm. Moms and daughters talk to each other, please. (laughs) So the story takes a twist here. Lucy persuaded her mother to travel with her to the shrine of St. Agatha, who had been martyred before to pray for healing there. And she did, in fact, receive healing for her bleeding disorder. And Lucy took the chance to persuade her mother to allow her to give a lot of their wealth to the poor. Hmm. And Eutychia said, I was going to do that when I died. Lucy said, according to tradition, whatever you give away at death for the Lord's sake, you give because you cannot take it with you. Give now to the true Savior while you are healthy, whatever you intended to give away at your death. That is a bit of a guilt trip. Oh, boy. And apparently it worked. But when word arrived to Lucy's pagan fiance Mm-mm. that she and her mom were giving away all their fortune, oh, he denounced her to the governor. Oh, no. He wanted to nip this Christian thing in the bud. Because mm. money that he would have married into was not going to be there if they kept on, you know, living out their faith by giving their wealth away. Mm-hmm. So he denounced mm-hmm. her to the governor, and the governor told her, okay, as was so often the case, just burn a sacrifice to the emperor's image to, so we know you're a good citizen. And Oh, dear. Yeah. That's not going to end well. Yeah, not going to end well. Okay, so this next portion of the story I got from Vatican News. 
I'm going to just lean on their authority for this one. (laughs) I'll just read this bit. I'll put the link in the show notes. Disappointed and unsatisfied, Lucy's young suitor denounced Lucy as a Christian to the prefect, Pascasius, accusing her of worshipping Christ and of disobeying Emperor Diocletian's edict. Arrested by the prefect, Lucy was interrogated and refused to sacrifice to the gods. She professed her faith. I am a servant of the eternal God, and he said, when you are led to the kings and princes, do not give thought how or what you have to say, because you will not be talking yourself, but the Holy Spirit is speaking in you. Cascasius pressed her. Oh, then, do you think you have the Holy Spirit? Lucy answered, the apostle said, the chaste are the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit dwells in them. Cascasius, in order to discredit her, and commanded that she be brought to a brothel. Oh, what? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's like, well, if your chastity and your Christianity are so closely tied together, we're going to send you over there to take care of one of those little obstacles to you being a good pagan. Yikes. So this is when things get really fun. (laughs) Lucy declared then that she would not give herself over to the lust of the flesh and that despite any violence, she would remain chaste, pure, and uncontaminated in mind and spirit. Mm-hmm. So the guards come to like physically carry her away and they can't move her. Hmm. Talk about lead weight. Yeah. Like, this is Lucy weight. They hitched You're her right. to a team yeah. of oxen. <laughs> okay. They couldn't move her. Huh. <laughs> They're like, okay, um, let's just kill you right here. Bundles of wood were heaped about her and set on fire, but they wouldn't burn. Hmm. <laughs> Finally, at the end of their rope, she was she was killed. She met her death by a sword mm. thrust into her throat. Oof. Wow. Yeah. There are versions of the story that deal with her eyes, and we'll get to the eyes yeah. later on. Portion of the story that made itself into later accounts is the story of Lucia being tortured by her eyes being gouged out. And according to that story, her sight was miraculously restored to her. Mm. Another version, and I love this, has Lucy taking out her own eyes. In mm-hmm. order to discourage a persistent suitor who admired them. Yep. Oh, that's the one I've, that's I've heard. Like, wow, take. I can't think about that too much because it makes me queasy. <laughs> <laughs> Saints' wow. lives are not for those with weak stomachs. But what a reaction. <laughs> like, hey, baby, you got pretty eyes. She's like, yeah, watch this. <laughs> Here, you can have them. <laughs> They're not for you. <laughs> but when her body according to this story was prepared for burial in the family mausoleum it was discovered that her eyes had been miraculously restored Mm -hmm. so that is saint lucy a feisty young christian woman who knew what she wanted jesus Mm -hmm. and knew what she didn't want which was compromising and was given the grace to have the one and not the other Mm. She is, because of these eye-gouging things, very closely associated with the imagery of eyes. In fact, traditional iconography <laughs> shows her holding her own eyes on a golden plate. Yep. Yes, it does. Great fun. Mm-hmm. She is the patron saint, according to Catholic tradition, of people with eye illnesses. Hmm. Also, because her name, Lucy, Lucia, shares the same root with the Latin word for light, looks she is shown to be a bearer of light or darkness in the winter, which is one yep. reason why she's so popular in 
far northern cultures, which have really dark winters. Exactly. She's also the patron saint of authors, couplers, glaziers, laborers, martyrs, peasants, saddlers, salesmen, stained glass workers, and of Perugia, Italy. Interesting. So, obviously, we don't go in for that patron saint stuff, but there is no denying that Lucy was one cool woman and someone Mm -hmm. that we can definitely seek to emulate and celebrate and give Mm -hmm. thanks for her life and her example. I think especially nowadays, we think it's kind of weird that she was martyred for wanting to remain unmarried Mm. and devote her virginity to Christ. And yet I also think that in these days when we are so surrounded by unchastity, Mm. that to see her example of saying this is important mm-hmm. and I would like to please God in this part of my life completely. I think that's a wonderful example for us to follow. So I'm happy we're celebrating St. Lucy's Day. That is St. Lucy's story as much as I know of it at any rate. She's cool. You she don't have to cool. disfigure yourself though. Mm. I feel like that's okay. We don't have to go quite that far. No, no please don't, don't gouge your eyes out for St. Lucy's Day. There are other ways to celebrate. There are. Like you going to tell us about some of those? <laughs> singing. <laughs> Gotta have music at our St. Lucia Day party. We do. So there is a folk song that apparently everybody who celebrates St. Lucy's Day knows about. And I did not before I started asking all of these questions in the ladies lounge. So we're going to get to that in a hot second. But I have a really hard time wrapping my head around the fact that St. Lucy is Italian because <laughs> my only mm. experience with St. Lucia Day yeah. has been Scandinavian traditions. Sure. I partially blame that on American Girl dolls because yeah, yeah. that was Kirsten, the best one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kirsten had like she had the braids and she had the candles yes. on her head like she was all decked out for St. Lucy's Day. So partially yes. this is American Girl dolls fault. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a St. Sancta Lucia folk song that is all over the internet. You can listen to it in the Swedish. I won't say original Swedish because it wasn't originally in Swedish. And this is the fun part. It's a folk song. So it's been adapted to a whole bunch of different cultures. It was originally in the Neapolitan language. And when I, when, when I read Neapolitan, I think Neapolitan ice Ice cream. cream. Yeah. (laughs) Neapolitan is a language too, which I didn't know before. Oh, Mm. Neapolitan pizza. Mm. It, It just means comes from Naples. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So a spoken language across different parts of Italy, mostly in the south and includes the dialects that were spoken in the kingdom of Sicily, which is where St. Lucie is from. So makes sense that it was originally. Wait, Sicily is the same as Syracuse? Oh, okay. Ancient kingdom that. of Sicily. <laughs> That's great. I looked at this on a map. That's the only reason I know. So the song was written and composed in 1835. So this is in the general scheme of things and in church history, this is pretty recent mm-hmm. that it was written by the Italian composer Teodoro Cotro, Cotrao in Neapolitan. And if you try to translate the Neapolitan in Google Translate, it doesn't work because Google Translate does not have Neapolitan and it doesn't understand Italian as Neapolitan. (laughs) I learned this. I'm like, oh, I'll put the Neapolitan words and say it's Italian. And Google's like, I don't know what this is. It literally just spits back out the same thing. Hmm. (laughs) So that was fun. Uh, Some translations are faithful to the original and others fit the culture where they're being sung. 
So I feel like this is kind of just the way that folk songs are. There's an original and then there's a bazillion options depending on where you are and what people actually understand. So as Lucia became a really big tradition in the 1920s in Sweden. So this is this is a fairly recent tradition. And I'm not sure why it became such a thing in the 1920s. I didn't dig that far into it. The song was given lyrics that would suit the Swedish Lucia celebrations. So it's been translated in Sweden, Finland, Denmark, the Faroe Islands, and Norway into lyrics that suit the wintry holiday. There's also versions in the Czech Republic and Austria and Thailand. And I'm sure other places that celebrate this day have their own slight versions. I got really confused when I was looking this up, not going to lie, because I was searching on Wikipedia and the folk song that kept coming up had stuff to do about fishermen and boats and the sunset. And I was like, this is not, this is not Swedish or winter or (laughs) candles. Necessarily tied to the story of St. Lucie. It was very confusing. And this is why it took me a while to figure out that there are connections to these because the guy that wrote it is Italian. So he wrote it as an Italian folk song. So the the translation of the Neapolitan lyrics into Italian then translated into English. It has it says like on the sea glitters the silver star gentle the waves favorable the winds come into my nimble boat St. Lucy St. Lucy and then like with this breeze so gentle oh how beautiful to be on the ship. Come aboard, passengers, come on, St. Lucy, St. Lucy. Inside the tents, putting aside supper on such a quiet evening. Who wouldn't demand, who wouldn't desire? St. Lucy, see so calm, the wind is so dear. Forget what makes trouble for the sailors and go shout with merriment, St. Lucy, St. Lucy. So that's one translation. Another one is, oh, sweet Naples, blessed soil, where to smile desired its creation. You are the kingdom of harmony, St. Lucy. Now to linger the evening is beautiful. A little breeze blows fresh and light. Come into my nimble boat, St. Lucy. So I don't really I'm know how so we got from confused. that. Like, I know. Did he, even, <laughs> did he even know who St. Lucy was? I don't know the full story of how all of this ended up. What I do know is that that's the original. And then we end up with something very different about St. Lucy okay. in the snow. <laughs> oh, okay. So it gets better. <laughs> Yes. So when this came into Swedish tradition and Swedish lyrics, the translation became much more about night and the queen of light. And she's wearing white garments. I wish I could read you the Swedish lyrics. They're beautiful, but I I will butcher them. We have the Odin family that is singing this for us. You'll be able to hear the Swedish. I asked them to record it for us because Mrs. Odin is... She speaks Swedish, so they know how to do it properly. <laughs> so you'll hear that in a second. But the Swedish is is really beautiful. Santa Lucia, to come 
the English translation is much more about the night going heavy round the yard and the barn, around the earth, the shadows brood, and then in our dark house, rise with lit candles, St. Lucia. So like, this is a lot more of what we associate with. The night goes big and silent, now its wings are heard, and all quiet rooms hiss as of wings. Look on our doorstep, stands dressed in white with light in her hair, St. Lucy. The darkness will soon flee out of the valleys of the earth, so she, a wonderful word, speaks to us. The day will be new again. Rise from the rosy sky, St. Lucia. And I'll sing one of these in a hot second too. But I want to tell you a little bit more. This song is part of a lot of the ways that people celebrate St. Lucia Day. So traditionally, this festival marked the entrance into the Christmas season because it's December 13th. And then you've got, what, like two weeks before Christmas. So it's a celebration that's full of light. This is also the darkest part of the year. And when you're that far north, in Scandinavia, it's going to be real dark. Yeah. So, and like in some parts, you might not have much sun at all during the winter season. So in Scandinavian countries, each town selects their St. Lucy for the year. This reminds me of the Christ child or the, the mm. Christkindle in the, mm. in Christkindle marked in Germany, kind of a similar, a similar kind of idea that this, mm -hmm. it's a, a young woman that brings light and so this, the St. Lucy would lead this procession with a candle wreath on her head. And then there would be young women following her holding candles. And this refers back to a part of the story that I don't know if this was in your research, Rachel, but she used to, at least according to tradition, she would bring food to persecuted Christians in caves. Hmm. And so that's where the candles come from, that she would actually wear this wreath of candles on her head so she could see where she's going in caves. And so this doesn't surprise where... me. I mean, I'm going to be honest. My research for this was not exactly exhaustive, but it sounds <laughs> I mean, legit. I mean, it sounds like the Lucy we know and love. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So hmm. she would wear this wreath of candles. This to makes bring... a little more sense because I was thinking about the fact that like they tried to burn her and she wouldn't mm -hmm. like, for her her death and so it's just sort of a little surprising that we have all this imagery of her with the girl on fire on her head. yeah <laughs> but now this is maybe a little more of a mm -hmm. connection if it's true i mean it seems in keeping with her character she loved to be generous yeah. to give yeah. to the poor uh -huh. and stick it to the man yeah so yep. so the, not, they were in caves they were in catacombs in rome uh -huh. so she would uh -huh. put this candle wreath on her head and bring food to the people and so she had to see where she was going and Seems of course like perfectly you sensible if your hands are full put your flashlight on it was a headlamp just spelunking in the catacombs <laughs> with arms full of provisions yes exactly <laughs> yes and lucy also means light and december 13th falls really close to the winter solstice yeah. so that's of course, the significance there. And I want to read you a little part from Clement A. Miles' Christmas in Ritual and Tradition, Christian and Pagan from 1912. This is fun. So in Sweden, St. Lucia's Day was formally marked by some interesting practices. It was, so to speak, the entrance to the Christmas festival and was called Little Yule at the first cock crow between 1 and 4 a.m., very early in the morning. Okay. The prettiest girl in the house used to go among the sleeping folk dressed in a white robe, a red sash, and a wire crown covered in whortleberry twigs and having nine lighted candles fastened in it. She awakened the sleepers and regaled them with a sweet drink or with coffee between one and four in the morning. That'll wake mm. you up. 
sang a special song and was named Lucy or Lucy Bruden, Lucy Bride. When everyone was dressed, breakfast was taken, the room being lighted by many candles. The domestic animals were not forgotten on this day, but were given special portions. A peculiar feature of the Swedish custom is the presence of lights on Lucy's crown. Lights, indeed, are the special mark of the festival. It was customary to shoot and fish on St. Lucy's Day by torchlight. The parlors, as had been said, were brilliantly illuminated in the early morning. In West Gothland, Lucy went around the village preceded by torchbearers. And in one parish, she was represented by a cow with a crown of lights on her head. I love that. I wonder what the cow thought about that. (laughs) Yes. And so this song, I'm going to sing it for you now. Okay. Yes. Yes. Hark through the darksome night, sounds come a-winging. Lord, is the queen of light, joyfully singing. Clad in her garments white, wearing her crown of light, Sancta Lucia. Sancta Lucia, maiden so sweet and fair, bright candles in your hair. Sancta Lucia, Sancta Lucia. Deep in the northern sky, bright stars are beaming. Christmas is drawing nigh, candles are gleaming. Welcome thy vision rare, lights glowing in thy hair. Sancta Lucia, Sancta Lucia, child of the holy light, banish the dark of night, Sancta Lucia, Sancta Lucia. And there's your folk song. Sarah Golseth. <laughs> I'm impressed. There were a lot of accidentals in that. (laughs) I have listened to it so many times. It's been stuck in my head for the last week in Swedish. (laughs) I feel like I've heard that before. Like, that sounds so familiar. So familiar. And yet I didn't realize it was a thing, but maybe I've heard it somewhere because I started listening to it and I was like, I know this from somewhere. All right. So we have singing. We've got the fun martyr story. We've talked about food and eyes. So I think that means you're up, Erin. <laughs> We're not eating eyes. Well, actually, we kind of are. <laughs> so I am going to provide for you the traditional snack. Yes. St. Lucia's Day, which is the St. Lucia bun. Mm, I love a good bun. Now, it, right? is, it is a delightful bun. And it would be eaten in the morning. Honestly, okay. So for anyone, I have never made these before in my life. They turned out just fine. They're beautiful. Um, okay, so don't don't be too intimidated by it. If you've ever made cinnamon rolls, honestly, this is just a variation on a cinnamon roll. Okay? It is a simple like us, it's a milk dough, so it's an enriched dough and 
It has some spices added Ooh. for flavoring. The only thing, the, the main challenge that I found with this is how much time it takes for rising oh. um, <laughs> since I work. And so I found, though, I, I talked to my mom. I called her. I'm like, so when you've made cinnamon rolls, you can let those rise overnight in the refrigerator, right? She's like, yeah, yeah, that's no problem. So here was how I scheduled this. So if you are somebody who works and are trying to figure out how you could make these to be able to serve them in the morning, which is the traditional time. So I, on Thursday morning, I got up and I made the dough on Thursday morning mm. while I was getting ready for work. Like I just built that into my schedule. It doesn't take that long to just assemble the dough itself. Then I put it in the fridge to rise during the day while I was at work. Then Thursday evening, I shaped the rolls mm. and covered them again, popped them back in the fridge to rise overnight. And then this morning, while I was getting ready for work again, that's then when I baked them. So mm. if you're wanting to be able to have these ready to go for breakfast and not like if you're doing it for brunch, you could probably actually just do it all the morning of, but you'd still have to get up pretty early. And who wants to get up early and then wait for brunch? Like that's a Ugh. long time. No. Yeah. So anyway, I recommend one of these options to sort of help get you. You don't have to do them all in the fridge, but I did all of mine in the fridge and they turned out just fine. Beautiful. So <laughs> I love it. I'm going to tell you about my recipe that I used. I yes. adapted a recipe from simplyrecipes.com. It's a little bit different. Theirs calls for the very traditional Swedish ingredient of saffron. Ooh, I was going to say, the don't Swedes, these usually have saffron? The, the Swedes fell in love with saffron. Saffron is not local to Sweden or Scandinavia no. at all. Which means it's basically and, food bling. Yes. <laughs> saffron also... It's the most expensive of all the spices. <laughs> so here, let me just before we get get started, here's some spice math for you. Okay. Okay. I'm going with all of my math is from Walmart, which is not where I usually get my spices, but I thought this is a nice accessible place to almost everyone. You can get, mm. yeah, there's Walmarts everywhere. There are. So saffron, you can get it from Walmart. You can get 0 0.06 ounces from Walmart, and that will cost you $18. Whoa! 0 0.06 ounces. That is really expensive. $18. Okay. So and that's I was Walmart like, prices. That's right. Walmart prices. There might, there's probably cheaper saffron out there. At some point, though, you're not really getting saffron anymore, even though it's labeled saffron. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I was like, no, no, I'm not doing that. I don't, I'm sorry. So, I decided I am using turmeric, oh. okay? which is what everyone uses instead of saffron to make it look like they're using saffron. Poor there's, man's saffron. There's, yeah. some, there's some, some people that are like, oh, yes, yeah, saffron, the, the most luxurious of spices. It's such an evocative flavor. I don't think most people even know what it tastes like. <laughs> nope. Okay. They don't even know. They can't even describe it. 
I tried looking everywhere. Nobody can describe it. Nobody agrees what it tastes like. Okay. It's that anyway. distinctive of flavor. I've had it exactly. and I'm not crazy yeah. about it. Yeah. So <laughs> just use turmeric, people. It's so much cheaper. <laughs> 1.87 ounces of turmeric at Walmart, $4.62. And you can remember other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's a number yeah. I can live with. Yeah, absolutely. Also, a traditional spice of these Scandinavian countries, cardamom. <gasps> I thought so. Yes. I love cardamom. I do too. I, now and that one, I can tell you what it tastes like and I like it. Yes. Agreed. It's so Agreed. wonderful. It's so warm. Yeah. <sighs> cardamom is delightful. Apparently, the Vikings came across it in their adventures. Really? Like back in 1000 AD. And huh. they're like, we love, we love this cardamom. Let's bring it back. And so ever since then, the Scandinavians have loved cardamom. That's interesting. So cardamom is more expensive than turmeric, mm -hmm. but and it's more expensive than cinnamon, but still not outrageous. So 1.75 ounces of cardamom at Walmart is nine $9.23. Now, again, just to give you a sense of this spice math. Let's let's make all of this. How much does it cost per ounce? Okay. Thank Turmeric you. per ounce, $2.47. Hmm. Walmart prices. Cardamom per ounce, $5.27. That's not terrible. Okay. Saffron per ounce, $305. <laughs> okay. Wow. In, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so surprisingly, though, all the recipes I found, they're always like, use the saffron. Nobody ever says, use turmeric. I had to work really hard to find somewhere where they're like, here's how you can substitute turmeric for saffron. So I have built that into this adapted recipe. <laughs> now I'm very curious because I know there's several people in the lounge who make these. I'm I curious know. what they use now. They probably use saffron because that's the Swedish way. I don't know. It's, everything is expensive in Scandinavia. But <laughs> for for the rest of us, I honestly I use the use the turmeric. There's, it has a little bit of flavor, but if you also use cardamom, mm. it's fine. And those are um, very, they're both very warm yeah, flavors, yeah, so they they're going to complement exactly. each other really well. Exactly. So basic milk dough recipe, you use milk and turmeric. For this, I used a half a teaspoon of turmeric. That's all you need to make it a much. beautiful, bright gold color dough. Mm. Okay. So milk also, here's a little hint. I'm not someone, I don't keep milk in my house. I just don't huh. drink it and I don't have kids. And so I can't work my way through it. I do have half and half though. Whoa. So that's maybe a little too rich though. But if you're just like needing a three quarter cup, then just use like half, half and half and half water and you're, you're <laughs> good you to go. go. So yeah, diluted half and half is as good as milk in something like this. So three quarter cup milk, half a teaspoon of turmeric, some sugar. You need to warm that up. So dissolve your sugar. I mistook the recipe. I was supposed to use just a little sugar. I just dumped it all in and it was fine. I love this. Okay. Aaron so, gone wild. <laughs> <laughs> Let the turmeric be in with the milk because you're wanting it to color everything. So this is a chance to really activate its dye power. Now the, the turmeric will stain, so don't get this on your clothes. Mm -hmm. So let that heat up. Then you need to let it cool down until it's just warm, not hot. 
because you need your yeast to activate. Uh, if you use yes. it too hot, it's going to kill your yeast and then yeah. your dough won't rise. Okay. It needs to be warm, warm enough so that like if you put it on, on your wrist, you're like, oh, I can feel it's warm, but not ouch. It's hot. It's the, it's the kind of warm you would give to babies. Okay. That's what you're going for. Unlike St. Lucia, yeast mm. will not tolerate excessive heat. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So you're going to do that first. Then you're going to let your add your yeast. Let that sit for about five or ten minutes until it's nice and foamy. Then you know the yeast is really working. So then you're going to add. You've got flour. You're going to add some cardamom to that. Again, about a half a teaspoon is all you really need. Some butter, some sour cream, some eggs. Uh-huh. So again, this is an in, this is a an enriched dough. This is a um, very so, dairy recipe. Yeah. Wow. So you're going to add the milk mixture, the eggs, butter, and sour cream, all of that into the flour. Mix it up well, and then once it is, it's sort of incorporated into a sort of sticky mass. Then you're going to turn it out and start kneading it. Knead it on your counter until it, you can add some extra flour if it's super sticky, but knead it until it is sort of a nice smooth dough, but it's not not super sticky. It's still going to be a little sticky, but not like just sticking to everything. Then put some like oil it, if, especially if you're going to do this overnight in the fridge. Mm-hmm. So I just put some oil on my hands and then just rubbed the dough with that before I put it into a bowl so that it can rise. So cover it up, put it in the fridge if you're doing it overnight, just cover it and let it be rest in a warm place until it is double in size. And then you're going to divide it. Now, the buns I made this morning, I thought it called for, I misread, and I thought it was like 10 to 12 portions. So I divided it into 12 portions. They were fairly large. So I'm, I'm recommending... 14 to 20 portions, like divide your dough into that. And you can just cut it. You don't have to measure this out. Don't weigh them if you're not trying to sell these or something. Just divide the dough in half with a knife and then divide it again until you have your your 14 to 20 equal portions. You're going to roll those out into long ropes. Okay, just roll them, roll them into long, long ropes and then you you twist them up into the the special loose cutter. I oh. think that's what it's called. Shoot, I don't remember. It's a it's fancy a special, shape. It's a special shape. It's a strange. Mm-hmm. There is a significance to it. <sighs> what's you seem to already know that from the top of your head? So tell us what's the significance <laughs> of the special shape. So it's an S shape, but each of the S's. Each of the curly cues of the S, it's a, it's a, it's a curly Q S. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And each of the S's has like a raisin in the middle, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten there yet, but yes, you'll end up putting the S and the the raisins in the center of each of the spirals. Yeah. So yeah. we have. Yeah, you got it, Sarah. Oh. There yeah, eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there no, eyes. No. The loose cotter somehow means like devil's cat or something like oh. that. And then there's also these other like winter pig shapes it's weird so you get a little bit of i have a feeling you get a little bit of like folklore worked in with some of these traditions yeah Um, if you think back to that traditional iconography of 
St. So Lucy the, holding her eyes on a golden platter. Yeah. This is a yeah. bun that sort of mimics that. Yeah. Yeah. So once you have them shaped, you're going to let them rise again. And oh, what'd you find? To keep the devil away. Yeah. The sweet buns were colored with luminous yellow saffron yeah. spice, which is why turmeric's just fine because it's the yeah. color you want. Exactly. And <laughs> S is an ancient symbol for sun and life. Yeah. So okay. they, yeah. I mean, there's lots of theories anyway. I'm there's not, a lot also of tradition. Not, exactly. I think sometimes we build into some of the meaning after it's just already been there. Oh, Lucifer. Um, yeah. 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 So, okay. You're going to let them rise again. And then once they have, once they've risen, then you need to brush them with an egg wash, which is just a scrambled up, like just beat up an egg and brush that over the whole surface and then push a, a raisin down into each of the center of each spiral. So each bun will get two raisins. Mm. I miscalculated with raisins. And so uh, the buns that I made, half of them had raisins. And then the other half, I just sprinkled some some sugar on top. So that was also nice. Especially if you're just like, I don't like raisins. No problem. <laughs> they aren't heavy on raisins, though. There's just two raisins per bun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can pick them off oh, if you don't like raisins. Exactly. That, that's totally acceptable. Then you bake them at 400 degrees for 10 to 11 minutes. Turn mm. them halfway through. The egg wash, I think, really helped them brown up pretty easily. So, mm. so keep an eye on them. They, I, My oven usually needs a little bit longer. And I sort of wish I had pulled them out maybe 30 seconds earlier, one minute earlier, or something like that. But they were still beautiful and delicious. So I, they were delightful. Eat them warm. They're mm. going to be best the day of, the morning of, while they're still fresh. These are, they'll, I'm sure they'd be fine the next day, but they will they will have lost their shine. Well, not literally. They'll probably still be <laughs> shiny. But anyway, they, they'll have lost their, their delightful freshness. So make these and share them on the, on the day of, as St. As Lucia would do with her provisions in the cave. <laughs> <laughs> So it's there. They did. They turned out easy. The, the biggest challenge was figuring out the scheduling of it, but they really were quite, quite delightful. I saw some variations that did treat them almost like cinnamon rolls where, mm. where they would roll them out into more of a, a rectangle flat and then spread on like a cardamom sugar <gasps> um, and then roll that up and slice them like you would a cinnamon roll. Uh, but really I was good. determined. I was like, no, that's that's extra. This <laughs> today is for St. Lucia's Day. So we're going to just do the classic but it, there's definitely solid, solid variations that you could explore. And I brought these and shared them at Bible study this morning. And they Aww. were they were well received mm. and indeed did fool some people into thinking it was actual saffron. Nicely done. They win now all around. I saw pictures of these and I was super jealous of whoever was in that meeting with you yeah. because they looked. So yummy, just yeah, wonderful. They, not really delightful. Mm. So yeah, well, there we have it. We've got we've got a story you can tell, may or may not be child appropriate, depending or on accurate. what 
historically you add or accurate, <laughs> depending on what you read. There are lots of details across lots of different traditions. Mm-hmm. You've got a song to sing. You've got costumes. You've got candles on top of children's heads. May it's a party not. now. Idea. Uh-huh. And you've got food. So, yeah. And you can add some coffee to that, apparently, especially if you do this between 1 and 4 a.m. That's right. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not go over very well. Feed your animals some some nice portions of whatever they love, too. So uh-huh. There was there actually one other tradition that I really loved that is not Scandinavian. Oh. But I really thought it was cool. From Croatia and Hungary in which you plant wheat grains on St. Lucy Day in a round dish or plate of soil and then water it. And if it's kept moist, the seeds germinate and the shoots are several inches high by Christmas. The new green shoots, reminding us of the new life in Bethlehem, can be tied with a ribbon and put near or under the Christmas tree. That's cool. So it's not all about food and fire. That's right. Yeah. can be about growth and life and Christmas is coming. Like it's a reverse advent calendar. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, it's such a picturesque holiday that the, the image of a young woman and a lot of our holidays are not very female centric, but this one really is Mm -hmm. a young woman clothed in a robe of righteousness tied around about with a red cord to symbolize, you know, martyrdom and the witness of the church with candles on her head not only to show the light of christ but the the holy spirit and then serving good things with a song in her heart to the people around her that's just a cool cool day that i've never actually celebrated so maybe i should so now you've got all of your party plans and if you have more that we didn't cover which is entirely possible please tell us in the ladies lounge in our facebook group you can also comment on this episode and the other posts that we'll do throughout the week on our Instagram page at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. We would love to know what your family does and if you have any fun traditions or, you know, pictures of your kids celebrating because we love pictures of kids celebrating things. You can certainly share those with us too. You can sign up for our e-newsletter by sending an email to lutheranladies at kfuo.org. You can also find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app or on the KFUO radio app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. And I'm Rachel. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org slash give.